Good morning. Uh, we are back in our study in First Corinthians. We find ourselves again in First Corinthians chapter 14, uh, covering a chunk of verses today. So bear with me. Um, I, I want to thank you guys who've been praying for me this week. Many of you guys reached out and said, "Hey, Pastor, are you okay? I've been under the weather a bit this week, and so finally feeling better. Started Friday, I started feeling great. Saturday felt great. God brought the rain, and if you know me, you know I struggle with pollen, and so rain is the ultimate pollen killer." And so I had my moment of standing in the front yard with my hands raised to the sky, declaring the goodness of God. Neighbors got a little concerned, but everyone else was okay. Uh, but anyway, just a, just a magical moment. My family is ready to disown me at this point uh, because of that. But anyway, bear with me. I do have water up here today. I may take a few sips as I'm walking through this uh, because we do have a good bit of ground to cover this morning. And so here we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to begin looking at verse 6. And before we get into the reading, I want us to realize that Paul is now continue, uh, continuing in his writing on orderly worship and especially on spiritual gifts and how they are to be used in uh, orderly worship. But he's, again, specifically focusing, as we saw a week ago, on the gift of prophecy versus the gift of speaking in tongues. And so a week ago, we really focused on defining those terms. What is the gift of prophecy? Uh, what is uh, speaking in tongues? And we saw how Paul spoke to how the gift of prophecy was actually the greater of the gifts. If you were going to pursue one, Paul said, speaking prophecy is the greater of two gifts, um, or better yet, he puts it as the better of the two gifts. Now, again, for clarity, if you weren't here a week ago, uh, let me define terms for you again so we understand where we're coming from and what it is that we're talking about. According to Paul, when it comes to the gift of prophecy, particularly in 1 Corinthians 14, he is speaking specifically to the gift of preaching, to the gift of teaching, and the proclamation of the Word of God. Whereas in speaking in tongues, Paul speaks specifically to the languages of the world. Now, as we stated before a week ago, many scholars have argued that this was not the meaning of speaking in tongues. However, when we looked at this text that we saw last week, and we'll see it again this week, the term that Paul continues to use in terms of speaking in tongues is actually the word for languages. So no, it's not ecstatic utterances. No, it's not a divine language or a private heavenly language. Rather, these are just the languages of the world. Now, you may be sitting here today, and in looking at 1 Corinthians 14, you may be asking yourselves, what does this have to do with the gospel? Better yet, what does this have to do with the local church? Well, if you want to answer that question, I believe you need to understand a little bit more about the context of why Paul is writing this particular chapter. You see, the Corinthian Christians believed that in order to be faithful witnesses to the world, one needed to either have the gift of prophecy or be able to use the gift of prophecy, or one needed the gift of tongues. So they believed that if you wanted to lead people to faithful witness into the church, you needed to either be able to speak in tongues or you needed to be able to prophecy. And they believed because of that, that these were the two most important gifts. Thus, they were the most desirable gifts in the church. Therefore, those who had other gifts were kind of just left in the dust as if they weren't important. And so Paul comes back today in 1 Corinthians 14 and addresses the church and says, no. In fact, every gift, Corinthian Christians, is needed. In fact, Regardless of the gift, Paul teaches them, and we saw this in 1 Corinthians 13, that the greatest gift you should possess is love itself. 
In other words, for Paul, it didn't matter what gift the Lord had blessed you with. It didn't matter what talent you had. What mattered is how you use those gifts and talents for the purpose of love. Meaning this, how are you using the gifts to faithfully serve one another? Now, in our text this morning, Paul's going to continue in his writing about prophecy and about tongues. But again, he's going to focus in on our text today, not just on prophecy and building up the church, which is what we saw last week, but rather he's going to focus on tongues and building up the church. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join with me. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we are going to begin reading in verse 6. Now, once you have found your place in the Word, if you can and you are able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now, this is Paul writing to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6. He writes, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy... And an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are then disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now again, here is a scene and a long discussion from where Paul makes multiple points about speaking in tongues, 
or better yet, about speaking in other languages. Now, for Paul, he says that speaking in an uninterpreted language is not edifying for the local church. At the same time, Paul then goes on to say that the church is not built up if no one can understand what it is that is now being said to them. And we saw a lot of that a week ago. But Paul's going to take this a step further and then say this. He says that if someone prays in a foreign tongue and no one understands what is being prayed, then that prayer is not edifying for the body either. He then goes on to say that speaking in tongues not only confuses the church, but it could confuse the outsider who may be impressed by the gift, but never really understand their need to repent of sin and ultimately follow after Jesus Christ. Now, for all of these reasons, we see that clearly tongues may seem like a bad idea. In fact, some may wonder at this point, based on Paul's conclusions, as to whether or not speaking in tongues is actually needed for the edification of the body. However, I think a better question for us to explore this morning as we look at this text is this. When is speaking in tongues, or better yet, speaking in the languages, a good thing for the body of believers? And that is exactly what I believe that Paul wants to answer for the local church. And Paul, again, I believe, will give us three answers to when speaking in tongues or speaking in the languages is actually a good thing for the edification of the church. In verses 6 through 12, we see reason number one. Paul says that speaking in tongues is actually a good thing when the language itself can be understood. Notice how Paul opens by telling the church that speaking in tongues is is not edifying unless it is accompanied by speech that now can be understood. Look with me at verse 6. He says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Notice that Paul teaches that a, a language that can't be understood does not build up the church. However, If that language comes with either interpretation or teaching or clarity, and ultimately it is understood, then it can be used because the people understand what's being communicated, and therefore the body collectively is now being edified. Now we move from there in verses 7 through 9, and we see that Paul gives us illustrations as to why he believes what it is that he just said in verse 6. Look at verse 7 and 8, and Paul uses instruments and says this of instruments. He says, if instruments do not hit right, or better yet, they do not hit distinct notes, then no one will know what it is that is being played. In other words, music will not be recognized if the notes being played are without some sort of rhyme or some sort of reason or some sort of progression in chords, if you will. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Imagine if all of a sudden we decided the sermon needs to stop now, and I'm going to ask Forrest to come back up here. Maybe not Forrest. I can't even see Forrest. Forrest, brother, are you even in here? There you are, my man. Okay, you went out back? Okay, good. He left. He really went fishing, didn't he? Man, okay, well, we'll get him back in a minute. What, let's say we called up Stephanie or we called up Jules. I see Jules right now. And Jules, is, uh, Jules and Steph are phenomenal on the keys and on piano. And let's say they came up and I, I whispered to Jules a specific song that I wanted her to play. But I told her to play one note. Do you think you would get it? The answer is no. We would have no idea. We would just hear one note. But what if Jules started playing a chord followed by another chord? And there was some sort of progression then all of a sudden you would quickly realize what that song is and you could probably sing along as she continued to play it. 
You see, the same was true for Paul when it comes to speaking in tongues. Paul says, in order to be understood, the language itself needs to be accompanied with a translator. There needs to be some sort of progression, whether it's an, an interpretation or a progression that, in, that includes a teaching that backs up what's being said. Paul then goes on to compare uh, speaking in tongues to the warning that comes from a, a bugle call that calls the people to war. You see, this is similar to our, our hurricane warnings that we get here in Florida. Or better yet, if you live somewhere and they actually have tornado sirens that work. Okay? You know what that sound is. You hear the tornado siren, you know it's time to get in shelter. Not time to go to your front yard and fly a kite, right? You hear a hurricane warning, and you know exactly what you need to do. And that is not make a run on bread and water. Not here in Florida, at least. No, we know what those warnings mean because they have been communicated to us. But what happens when no one knows? You see, this is the truth that Paul is seeking to communicate. He says that the person himself, with the gift of tongues, may be thrilled and excited and encouraged because in Corinth, they have the desirable gift. But Paul says, what good does it do if no one knows the meaning? What good does it do if no one can understand? You see, this gift, the gift itself, by itself, is not helpful nor encouraging. And as we saw a week ago, Paul says that that gift then becomes useless. Paul even says as much in verse 9 when he says, So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. You see, if there is no understanding to the gift, then all we are doing is wasting words to the wind. And nothing else matters. Paul then gets back to the subject at hand in verses 10 through 12, and he says that, that there are multiple languages, but what good are they if I don't know the meaning of the language, which is what Paul says. He says, listen, these languages, if understood, they're a good thing. However, if there is someone who doesn't understand, then here's what happens. That person becomes a foreigner to me, and I become a foreigner to them. In other words, Paul says, listen, we're communicating, but I don't have a clue as to what you're saying, and you don't have a clue as to what I'm saying. And so Paul says in verse 12, so with yourselves. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. You see, in this moment, Paul didn't just want to reign on the parade of the Corinthian Christians. He wanted to encourage them in their zeal. He wanted to en encourage them in their desire to obtain spiritual gifts in order to see the church grow. But at the same time, he reminds them that these gifts are only as good as when they are being used to encourage, to edify, and to serve the local body of believers. And so that's what we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, need to understand when it comes to the gifting that God has given to us. You see, if we're going to use languages prop properly, then the language must be understood. Whether it's interpreted, whether it's taught, whether it's proclaimed, gifts of tongues are only as good as how they are used to build up the church. Now, why would this matter? Because if you find yourself in a place that is speaking in tongues, 
you need to know what Paul actually said. Because what you may be hearing in that moment might just be gibberish and nothing that edifies the Lord. In fact, Paul goes a step further in this passage. He says, look, when using gifts, let's make sure that the gifts that we are using, whether it's the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues or, or whatever gift the Lord has given us, let's make sure that we're using them to serve the local church. Because that's what it means to love. It means to serve and to care and to put others before ourselves. Otherwise, and coming back to Paul's illustrations on music, all we are is a bunch of noise that no one will understand if the goal is to simply serve ourselves. Paul then goes from his first point in saying that we need to understand uh, to make sure the languages are understood to then giving us a second point, which is found in verses 13 through 19. And Paul says this, that the, the speaking in tongues is actually a good thing when we pray for understanding. Now, I want you to notice in the three points that I'm going to give you, all of them wrote, uh, roll around and rotate around the word understanding itself. So Paul is trying to give Corinthian Christians understanding. At the same time, we today are trying to gain understanding of what it is that Paul is talking about. But when we speak of be, being able to pray for understanding, this is not just one of those moments where Paul is saying, hey, just pray about it and figure it out. Okay, that's what a lot of cults want us to believe. But rather, here's what Paul says. Paul says, if you have the ability to speak in tongues, he says this, that he should pray that he may interpret. In other words, this does not mean that speaking in tongues is a prayer language, but rather Paul says that you should pray for someone to be there who understands and can interpret what is being said. In fact, in verse 14, he says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Paul again says that praying in a language is, is not helpful even in the mind if there is no ability to translate what it is that is being said. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Paul's literally acknowledging in this moment, look, you can memorize a language and that is okay. But if you just start throwing words out there that you don't even understand what they mean, then it's not even beneficial for you, let alone the body of believers. Now, again, as a side note, Paul is again proving his point that he is referring to languages here and not some sort of divine utterance. In fact, Paul even shows us in verse 15 that you can take it a step further and not just praying, but you can actually sing in tongues as well. However, he says that if that tongue is not understood or interpreted, then like prayer, it is not fruitful for the building up of the church. You see, the ability to speak in languages and to pray in languages, if it can't be interpreted, if it can't be translated, then it's not only not serving others in the church, but it's not even serving others in the church when we try to sing it. Now, if we don't pray for interpretation, if we don't pray for understanding, then Paul says our prayers, our minds, our singing will be useless to those who don't understand. And thus, our gifts that have been given to us by the grace of God are not being used to serve 
the church as they were intended to. Now again, pay attention because Paul's goal here is on understanding. But notice how Paul is speaking to praying for understanding. In other words, he's, he's saying, listen, you need to pray to desire that understanding or pray that someone will come along who can help you interpret that, teach that, so that that desire is there in order to edify the church. Now, you may be asking, why would Paul focus on prayer this moment? Well, think about prayer for a moment. What is it? Prayer is not just talking to God. Prayer is not just taking all of our requests, crumbling them up like a baseball, and then throwing them up against the board hoping that some will stick and the Lord will answer them. No, prayer is much more than that. Prayer is bending the mind, bending the heart, bending the will to God. I mean, think about that for a moment. It's why when Jesus was praying in the garden, how did his prayer end? Father, not my will, but yours be done. You see, that's what prayer does. It humbles us and bends us to the will of God. So when we pray for understanding, we're not just, Lord, give me clarity here. We're praying, God, in your grace and your goodness, bring understanding according to your will. Now we come back to the text. And here's where Paul goes. We get to verse 16 and 17, and we see the phrases, oh, we see the phrase that we ought to give thanks with your spirit. Now, when you look at the word giving thanks here, it actually could be translated into the word praise as well. Now, this is interesting because Paul is now saying to the Corinthian Christians that you may be able to praise God for your gift. You may be able to praise God in your worship. But then he says this, but what benefit is it if no one understands or if an, an outsider can come and say amen to your thanksgiving? Now notice now that Paul raises the question of how thankful we can be if no one can understand what it is that we're saying or what it is that's going on, including the outsider. Now again, notice how Paul acknowledges how praise starts with prayer. So if we're not praying, then how can we praise? Especially when we have not prayed for understanding. Then we have nothing in our tongues, nothing in our languages to praise if no one can understand what's being said. Now, this entire discussion for Paul actually comes to an end as he gives thanks that he is actually able to speak in tongues and languages more than most. Notice what he says. Actually, it's his main point in praying for understanding. It's found in verse 19 when he concludes that he would rather speak five intelligible words than a thousand words in languages. Why would Paul say that? Because the purpose of speaking is to instruct others. The purpose of speaking is to put on display the wonder and the glory of God and not to put on display our own spiritual gifts. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is whether there's a decision of Christ in this. How do we protect ourselves from making the church about us? How do we protect ourselves from saying things like, I don't like what they do there. I could do it better myself. Well, Paul would say to answer those questions, you've got to go back to verse 13. You have to start with praying. 
You have to pray for understanding. Bending your will to God's. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Pray for a willing heart, praying for a humble heart that is open to serving the church, praying that you are willing to serve others faithfully and not make much of yourselves. You see, if we're going to use languages, I will listen to prophecy, if we're going to use teaching here, if we're going to serve and instruct others for the purpose of building up the church, then it's got to begin with prayer. And the first thing that we need to pray <laughs> is for understanding. I mean, just think about how praying for understanding changes everything. Paul was praying, saying, listen, pray, pray for understanding of the languages. But let's just, let's just fast forward. Let's, let's talk about conflict for a second, because here's the reality. Most conflict comes because of miscommunication. In other words, they're speaking two languages. And I'm not talking like one person speaking French and one person speaking Spanish and they're just missing each other. I'm talking about they're, they're saying the same thing, but they're just like two, two ships passing in the night. They're just missing each other. Now, how different would even our own conflict resolution be if we started by praying for the other person and praying that God would give us understanding as we meet? Imagine how that would change the trajectory of the edification and the encouragement of the local church. Now, Paul goes on from there, and he's going to give us one more final way uh, that speaking in tongues can actually be a good thing. So he's already talked about how we need to pray that the languages can be understood. He's told us that we need to pray for that understanding. But then notice what he says in verses 20 through 25. He says that, that speaking in the languages, that speaking in tongues can actually be a good thing when we have matured in our own understanding. Now notice how Paul continues in his thoughts on how prophecy is better than tongues in this section. However, he does note a difference in understanding versus maturing in our understanding. And so I just want to give us some simple definitions of what Paul's trying to describe here. You see, understanding would actually be knowing the difference. Maturing for Paul would be knowing when to properly use what it is that you now understand. So you see, coming back to the text for the believers, they were called to mature, or better yet, to, to think like adults in verse 20. And some, some of them actually taken verse 20 and said, look at Paul, he's now contradicting himself. When he, when he talks about uh, how we need to mature like adults, but at the same time, the Bible teaches us that we all have faith like children. And yet here is Paul calling the Corinthian Christians to mature like adults. Well, the problem is Paul's not contradicting the Bible at this moment. He's not even contradicting his own words. Rather, what Paul wants is this. He wants the church to be humble. He wants the church to be dependent. He wants the church to be faithful like children. However, he does want them to mature into faithful adults as they continue to grow in their own righteousness and in their own holiness. Paul then goes on to challenge the maturity of the Christians by recalling the law for them in verse 21. He says that in the law it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now, this citation that Paul gives us is actually a loose interpretation of what is spoken by the prophet Isaiah back in Isaiah chapter 28. Now, to give you a snapshot of what's going on here, this was when Isaiah had prophesied of a future moment and then all of a sudden these false prophets came in they mocked him, they ridiculed him, and they called his word baby talk. Okay, they were trying to downplay 
the prophecies coming from God through Isaiah. Now, when we get to this particular prophecy, the people of the foreign tongues and the strange lips were actually the Assyrians. And so God was saying, listen, because of your rebelliousness, because of your sin, because of your lack of understanding, I am sending you a people of a foreign tongue, a people of a foreign lip. And this is what happened. Because of their lack of faithfulness, it was the Assyrians who came, they sacked Samaria, and they drove Israel and the people of God into exile. Now, it would seem odd that Paul would choose this story until you realize that here was a moment where the people of Israel were hearing a foreign tongue, and yet they did not understand. And Paul says, look at the confusion that then led to conflict. And so hearing the language not understood for the Israelites didn't bring a season of joy, but rather it brought about God's judgment upon Israel. Now, in teaching this story loosely, Paul is teaching that we as believers need to mature in our own understanding when, when it is good to use a language. Because here's the reality. If we don't mature in our understanding of the language, if we don't mature in our understanding of what the Word of God has called us to, then we can end up like the Israelites, thus turning a blind eye to this very moment, which could ultimately bring about the judgment of God. And then Paul goes on from there. He uses verse 21 to then explain verse 22 when he says, thus tongues are a sign for unbelievers. Now in saying this, Paul was ultimately pointing 22 back to 21 and how tongues were a sign of God's judgment. Why? Because uninterpreted tongues leads to judgments as even believers cannot understand what is being said or what is going on. Thus, unbelievers have no idea what's happening. Paul then gets into the, the which gift is the greater when he comes back to prophecy, which he says, which prophecy is for the believers. Thus prophecy helps the believers to encourage, edify the church, and train the church in how we are to communicate the gospel. So here's the truth that Paul is giving us from these verses. He says if we don't mature in our understanding, if we don't mature in our understanding of the word, if all we know about our relationship with Christ is that Jesus is love, and that is it, we may be missing the boat. If all we do as believers is come to faith in Christ, follow through with believers' baptism, accepting that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord, and never once opening the Word of God, then we're not maturing in our faith. And this is what happens. When we don't mature in our faith, we miss opportunities to not only serve the church, but we miss opportunities to share the gospel. We miss them. We miss opportunities to share the gospel with those around us. Why? Because we're afraid of what they're going to say. We're afraid of what they may ask. We say things like, well, what if they ask me this question and I don't know? Paul would say, why do you not know? Because you're called to mature in your faith. You see, as believers in Christ, we're called to know the Word. We're called to mature. So you can take this maturing in gifts. We're called to mature in our knowledge of the Word. 
so that we are communicating the word of God clearly. If that's not enough for you, let me give you what a president said. Maybe this will help. Theodore Roosevelt said it this way. A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Somebody want to put that next to their degree? I'm waiting on that person who sent me that email. Corey Hires. <laughs> Bachelor's degree. Master's divinity. Knower of the Bible. I'm down with that. Corey, you can actually send that to me. That'd be awesome. I'd be so encouraged if you did. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. <laughs> right. Coming back to the text, Paul continues in verse 23. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and I'll speak in tongues and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Again, Paul tells the church, look, here's what you're doing. When you come in with a lack of understanding and you just begin speaking a language that people don't understand, the outsiders are saying that you're out of your minds. Meaning this, you are now passing judgment on them. You are now condemning them. Why? Paul says, because if they come in and all they hear is an odd language that they can't understand, that we are missing the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with them. Thus, here's what we end up doing. We end up alienating non-believers. We end up passing judgment on them because there's no way for them to understand what is now being go- what is now going on. So you see, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to mature enough in our understanding to recognize that when we gather, we should gather in such a way that outsiders can hear and see the goodness of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus Christ in the way we talk, in the way we pray, in the way we worship. Now, footnote, that does not mean we create a service where people are entertained. That's not why we're here. But what it does mean is this. As a people, when non-believers walk in, they should see that there's something different about us because of the strength and the love and the encouragement that comes from this community. When they, when they hear us sing, what they should hear in singing is, is the goodness of the gospel, loving kindness that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. When we preach, we preach faithfully from the Word of God so that the people who come in who may not be believers may see that not only is Jesus Christ Savior, but He's Lord, and we see that His Word is our authority. That's what they should know about us. Anything else is meaningless. You know, it was interesting last night on television in the NBA, the only time I ever watched the NBA, they showed the slam dunk contest. I love watching the slam dunk contest. You want to know why? Because I can't jump. It's awesome. I watched a dude jump over Shaquille O'Neal last night. That was amazing. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. Even though people were impressed by the fact that that man jumped Shaq, just because that man jumped Shaq doesn't get him any closer to Jesus. I watched people with incredible skills but those skills didn't matter, and they don't matter if we're not using those skills to point people to Jesus. 
Now that's the NBA. So what about the local church? When it comes to gospel proclamation, Paul said, when it comes to preaching the word, teaching the word, when it comes to all these things, we should be pointing people to the only one who can save, and that is Jesus. In fact, Paul says, and here's why. Look with me, verse 24 and 25. He says, here's why this matters. He says, because if all prophecy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Notice what Paul says here. He says, when the word is clear, when the word itself is, is understandable, then the people who don't know will recognize their need to repent and the mystery of the gospel will come to light. Now, I want us to pay attention because Paul says this word that he is convicted by all and he is called to account by all. Now, this word all, this is Paul not referring to all the people here, but rather he's referring to all the words of God. You see, it's the word of God that assesses the heart of people, not every person present. Now, some of you may hear that and be like, man, where'd my moment of accountability go here? I was looking forward to it. Well, Paul says that people are needed in order to encourage people to grow, in order to encourage people to mature. But what convicts people, what pierces the heart of people is and should be the word of God and the word clearly and rightly understood. And then Paul goes from there and he closes by saying in verse 25, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Again, gospel proclamation, the preached and taught word of God is what leads to repentance and leads people to a relationship with Christ. Thus, through prophecy, Paul says that people hear the word clearly, and what happens is when they hear it clearly, by the grace of God, they come to faith in Christ. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to ask you this question. Have we matured in our faith to a point to see the need for the word proclaimed, even over the elevation of our own spiritual gift? Do we understand that what leads people to a relationship with Christ is the word itself and not our charisma? You see, that takes maturity to understand that. That takes understanding. And here's what I mean by that. All of us who have come to faith in Christ have a testimony. But your testimony is not what changes lives. It's the gospel that changes the life. It's because of the gospel that you and I even have a testimony. So here's the deal. We could come up with a thousand strategies till Sunday on how to reach people and how to pack out a building, but the reality is this. If you're truly going to change their life, you have to be mature enough to understand that the only thing that's going to change their lives is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so do we recognize that? Or do we make worship about ourselves? Or do we even see, have we even matured to the point 
where we see that the reason why we're here is to make the gospel known. The reason why we're here is to serve one another. The reason why we're called to mature in our understanding is so that we recognize that we are here by God's grace through his gifting according to his strength to make Jesus known. And not just any Jesus, but the Jesus Christ of the Bible. You see, it's clear that the Corinthian Christians were enthralled by the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. And some of you may be like, man, I am so tired of talking about prophecy and tongues. Glory be to God. It's been a challenge. But here's the reality. There were Christians during Paul's day who were so enthralled by themselves that they had become so self-absorbed in gaining one particular gift that they thought was better than all of it that they missed the call to serve. And so Paul saw it, recognized it, and he challenged them. He challenged them to understand. He challenged them to pray. He challenged them to mature. You see, for the body of believers, our gifting does not mean any kind of status whatsoever. Rather, our call is to faithfully use the gifts that God has given us in order to serve the local church. So even when it comes to speaking in languages, Paul says, listen, they can be edified. When it comes to speaking in different languages, they can be good when they are understood. And so we need to pray for understanding if we have that gift. And we need to pray for those to help us interpret. And then we need to pray for maturity in our own understanding that comes from the Word of God in order that we can grow in what it is that the Word has said to us and grow in our service according to the Word of God. Now again, everything I just said to you may be just hogwash this morning. Or you might have missed it because you're thinking about the rainy day. So let me close you today with a quote from uh, the modern day scholar, in my opinion, Thomas Schreiner. He says it this way. He says, the real mark of spiritual growth is concern for others such that believers should pursue what will edify others. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let's faithfully serve one another. Let's faithfully edify one another so that when it comes to prophecy or tongues of any gift for that matter, our ultimate goal and call is to continue to build up the church. And we do it for the glory of God. Let's pray together.